Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to take a real quick minute here and just personally invite everyone to the Jar Fall Harvest Party this Saturday. It's going to be a fun night of fellowship with each other. There's going to be a bonfire. There's going to be hay rides. There's going to be games for the whole family. And remember, we're having a chili cook-off. Everyone will be judging the best chili. I'll be bringing mine, so bring a pot of chili. You guys can all battle for second place. Well, let's pray real quick before we get into today's lesson. Dear God, we come before you this morning and we ask for our ears and we ask for our hearts to be opened to today's message and allow it to impact us in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I think that there are many things that all of us probably have in common. I think we've all probably done a self-medical diagnosis where we've checked our symptoms online and convinced ourselves that we have six months to live. I think we've all probably pulled back the shower curtain just to check that there's no serial killers hiding back there. I think we've all probably... Searched for our cell phone as we were holding it in our hand, or worse, talking on it. And I think it's safe to say that probably all of us struggle with prayer. I mean, I bet we would all like to pray more. I bet we would like to pray better, pray deeper with more conviction, more fire. I bet we wish that we could pray with a little more faith. Believing that what we ask for will happen. I mean, Matthew 7 verse 7 says, ask, it'll be given to you. Matthew 21 verse 22 says, if you believe you will get anything you ask for in prayer. But some of us have tried. We've prayed for healing. Healing didn't come. We prayed for restoration in our marriage and we still got divorced. We prayed for strength and we're still tired. We try, but we struggle with prayer. We think, you know, I must not be good at this. I must be doing this wrong. Is there a right way or a wrong way to pray? You know, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1... It says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So apparently we aren't the only ones that struggle with prayer. We aren't the only ones wondering if we're doing this right. I mean, this was a disciple. Disciples were Jewish boys who grew up. Praying. Man, it wasn't like they'd never heard a prayer before. It was just that when they watched Jesus pray, when they listened to Jesus pray, man, something was different. You know, one time, Peter, James, and John, three of the twelve disciples, they followed Jesus on a mountaintop and they watched as Jesus was praying, his face changed. And Scripture says his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And you know they're thinking, teach us to pray like that. 
Another time they watch Jesus take five loaves of bread, two fish, pray and feed 5,000 and have food left over. Um, Jesus, we'd like to pray like that. That very same evening after spending time praying on a mountainside, Jesus walked on water. When Jesus prayed, things happened. So maybe like us, the disciples are thinking, Jesus, we're just not sure. We're not positive we're doing this right. Can you teach us to pray like that? And then Jesus reveals his way of praying, what I'm calling red letter prayers. Because it's his words teaching his disciples and all his followers, including you and I, how to pray in a way that makes a difference every single time. And you know, as I've been studying this and I've been praying this way now for the last couple of weeks, I feel like the first thing that Jesus is teaching us is number one, to pray regularly. Pray regularly. That's how it all starts. In Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray. So Jesus begins by letting us know if you're not going to make time to pray in the fashion that I'm going to teach you, none of the rest of this stuff's even going to matter. If we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And that word often makes it pretty obvious. Jesus prayed regularly. You know, here's the thing. You make time for whatever is important to you. I mean, you wouldn't dare miss an episode of The Bachelor, would you? Or you make time to binge watch Ted Lasso. You need to make time to pray. Even a very busy Jesus, whose agenda is to save the world, made time to pray. So he says you must pray regularly. Now the next thing Jesus teaches us to do, number two, pray privately. Pray Privately. Verse 5 goes on to say, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. You see, in this culture, in Jesus' culture, it wasn't unusual for people to be all dressed up and they'd be yelling these long and these really loud prayers. And Jesus says, stop doing that. Don't be praying just to be seen by others. Quit praying publicly so people say, Whoa, you're so godly. Look at me, I'm praying. I'm posting all kinds of spiritual stuff. Now listen to what he says next. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. So if you're praying just to bring attention to you, then congratulations, it'll work. But that will be your only 
reward. He continues in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. He says, pray privately. If we go back again to Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's saying he left by himself. He got away from everyone else. And Jesus is teaching us, hey, if you want to pray the way I pray, you need to be alone. Somewhere where no one else can see you. It's just you and God. Then he goes on, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Man, there's that reward again. I've read that twice. Jesus is saying, when you pray in this manner that I'm teaching you, there will be a reward. And we're going to get to that reward later. So you pray regularly and you pray privately. The next thing Jesus teaches us is to pray sincerely. He says, pray sincerely. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now this is huge. This is what he's getting at. Pagans, someone of different religion or mixed religious views, thought that when they would go to pray and that there was something that they wanted... They thought, you know, if I just use the right words, or if I use many words, then I'll get what I want. They thought if they had enough passion in their words, if they used enough volume, that God would be like, okay, okay, calm down. You can have her. You can have him. You'll get that. Kind of like a little kid in a, in a store that wants something. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. That's not what prayer's about. That's not how it works. I mean, if you think about it, aren't you grateful that God didn't answer some of your prayers? I mean, just because you thought Jim Bob was a hottie doesn't mean he was going to make a good husband. If the guy hadn't had a job in two years, he's probably not going to help support the family. If he's got kids he doesn't take care of, he's probably not going to be a good baby daddy for you. I'm just saying. You should thank God that relationship moved on. You should thank God you didn't get that house that was going to strap you financially or that job that was going to take all your time and was going to keep you from doing the things that God was calling you to do. I mean, how big is your God? Do you really want a God you can convince? Jesus says, that's not how it works. And he goes on in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He says, you don't need to be loud. Your prayers don't need to be long. You don't need to beg. You don't need to try to convince me. Your father knows what you need before you ask. But he wants us to invite him into every part of our lives. He wants us to be dependent upon him. Believing that he has our best interests in mind. That he knows what's best for us. Not only right now, but in the future. 
And that is why you pray sincerely. So Jesus lets us know we should pray regularly. Pray privately. Pray sincerely. And then number four, pray specifically. Pray specifically. And then Jesus says in verse 9, This then is how you should pray. And then Jesus teaches us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is the Jesus way to pray. In this manner, in this sequence, specifically in this order. And I bet probably everyone's heard of the Lord's Prayer. I'm assuming everyone said it before, maybe. Some of you have probably said it a lot of times before. But here's the thing. I think a lot of people misunderstand it to be a prayer that we're supposed to recite word for word. But what he's giving us is an example. Jesus is giving us a model. He's giving us the ingredients that go into praying the way he does to get the outcome that he gets. And he says, do it like this. Our Father in heaven. Man, Father is personal. Father is intimate. He's saying, don't view God as this angry disciplinarian who's waiting to enact punishment on you for doing something wrong or for thinking something bad. He says, look at God as your father. And I know not everybody's had a loving father, but a father's supposed to be loving. There's a closeness. There's a bond. Jesus even referred to him as Abba, which was a term that children would use in place of daddy. Very intimate. For you dads, when your, when your children come up to you and they crawl on your lap and they call you daddy, you see, that means something. They know that you're there for them. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 5, He, being God, predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So Jesus referred to God as Father. It's recorded 170 times in the Gospels. And Jesus is saying, what I have, you have. My Father, your Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is big. Hallowed is majestic. Holy is your name. See, at the very beginning, Jesus says, I want you to pause when you pray. And I want you to think about who you're talking to. I want you to think about who you're in the presence of. This great, big, eternal God who has the power to do more than you could ever imagine. Hallowed be your name. You know, it's not about your words. It's about your heart. See, these quiet time with God prayers are about being able to go before your maker, able to fall down on your knees and just bask in his greatness. Man, this is father-son time. This is father-daughter time. I'm telling you, there's something that happens in our bodies with this kind of worship. 
when we're in this kind of praise and adoration, and I'm convinced the longer we stay there in that kind of moment, the smaller everything else gets, the smaller everything else in our lives become. Which makes it easier for us to go into the next part of the prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's in these moments that we realize, you know what? It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. It's, everything's about His kingdom. Before I get to me, I must first surrender to Him. In other words, before we go any further, God, I want you to know, I want to be more committed to your will than I am to my own, even if I hate it. Even if I disagree with it, even if it costs me, even when I'm having health problems, even when I'm having marital issues and financial issues, even when there is so much hurt and agony In my kingdom, God, I want you to know before we get to me, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, this kind of praying is how we we recalibrate our hearts to be in sync with God. And it's not easy. That's why Jesus says you got to pray regularly. And see, this prayer is a little different than God, thank you for this day. Give me, give me, give me. Can you imagine what would happen in our churches? What would happen in our country if every morning Christians got on their knees and said, yes, God. Whatever you're asking me to do, God, I will do it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my family, in my school, in my work. In my relationships, in the way that I raise my children, in my finances, God, your will be done. See, I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. And then he gets to the part that we're most accustomed to, the give me part. He says, give us today our daily bread. Man, Jesus is smart. Because Jesus words this in a way that these young Jewish boys understand very well. You see, in Jesus' day, children memorized the Torah, which is just the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And in the second book, Exodus, if you've never read it, you should read this. God frees the Israelites. They're in the desert and they're crying out to God. They say, we're starving, God. God hears them and he sends manna, which is bread. For them to eat. And every morning, he supplies enough to get them through the day. He says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. I don't want you to hoard any of this away. Rely on me to provide for you what you need for today. And Jesus is teaching us the same thing. Give us today our daily bread. Ask God to provide for you what you need Right now, where he said God knows what you need, but he wants you to acknowledge your dependence on him. God, give me the strength to face this illness that I'm going through. God, help me to stand up today after the loss of a loved one. 
God, help me to get up, go to school, go to work, even though my world seems to be falling apart. God, my son, my daughter's doing things in a million years I never thought they would do. It's crushing me, but I just need enough hope to make it through the day. That's what this means. Then he goes on. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our sins are our debts. You see, this is where we ask for forgiveness for wherever we've fallen short, wherever we've missed the mark. We have to confess to God and ask for forgiveness. And this part's pretty simple to understand. And most of us probably do this. It's the next part. That causes us to stumble because Jesus is saying, you just don't go to God and pray for forgiveness. He says, forgive me my sin as I forgive other sins. Matthew 6 verse 14 and 15 makes this pretty clear. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Wow. That's some powerful scripture right there. So as we're asking for forgiveness, we have to extend it to the people around us. I don't want to get up off my knees until I've been forgiven. And I don't want to get up off my knees until I've forgiven other people. And for some of us, including me, it forces you to pray a little bit longer. I mean, it's easy to ask for forgiveness. But it's not so easy to forgive. But our duty is to forgive those that sin against us. Forgive the insults that are directed towards us. Forgive the wrongs that are done unto us. And then Jesus goes on and he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, we just prayed for forgiveness. Now we repent. Which means... I'm going to turn away from what I'm doing that's sinful. In other words, it's not about getting forgiveness so you can take that sin bucket and just dump it out. And then you're free to fill it all back up again. Prayer is, God, I want you to forgive me of my sin. And to the best of my ability, I don't want to sin anymore. God, I want to stop doing these things that are dishonoring to you, regardless of what society says is okay, regardless of what the world says is acceptable. I want to turn away from it and I want to turn towards you, God. And I ask that you deliver me from these things. You deliver me from these desires. You protect me from these temptations. It says the evil one puts in front of us. The evil one, Satan. See, Satan knows all your little desires. He knows all the things that turn on the lights inside of us. And he has these little strong places, these little grips on all of us, holding on to certain parts of our lives. And when we pray... These things begin to be released. It says so in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, We fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power 
from God that can destroy the enemy's places. See, God can make so much happen in just one moment of prayer. That's why God wants us to pray like this. Well, here's the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, that's actually our conclusion to it because that's not even in the Gospels. It's what's called a doxology. It was added much later by the church. And it's basically just an acknowledgement that with God, all things are possible. And then amen, meaning so be it. The Lord's Prayer. What a powerful way to pray. I mean, no wonder that something always happened when Jesus prayed. And you know, I know we've gotten a little deep today, but I'm th- this has the potential to deeply impact our lives. You know, I've been praying this way now for the last couple of weeks, and I'm telling you, it just makes you feel alive. I have the same struggles. Heck, I have a few more that were added on. But you know what? I worry about my kids. I feel the pressure of trying to be the best husband I can be, the best father I can be, and feeling like I come up short on both of them. How to find time to fulfill my obligations at work and at church. But since praying like this, this red letter way of praying, man, I just feel at peace. And peace, I think that's one of the rewards that I spoke about earlier. I think that's the first reward for prayer is peace. Peace. It says so in Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace... Of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's peace in knowing that God has our best interests at heart. There's peace in knowing that God wants to provide for our daily needs, that His ways are far greater than ours. And I think another reward for this way of praying, number two, is power. Power. You see, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You see, prayer is the greatest source of power in your life. No prayer means no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer means much power. Man, if you want to make a change in your life, you've got to make a change in the way that you pray. And I'm telling you, when we pray in this fashion, this red letter way, we come out with authority. We come out with confidence. We become able to muster the strength to do things that we never thought was possible. And to deal with things we never thought we could do. I want to tell you a story about a man named Todd. Now, Todd was on a business trip aboard a Boeing 757 
when just moments after takeoff, hijackers took over the plane's controls, disengaged the autopilot and told the passengers that they had a bomb on board. The passengers were then gathered into the back of the plane where the curtain between first class and second class had been drawn, at which this point Todd could see that the pilot and the co-pilot were laying dead on the floor. Within minutes, the plane changed course and was headed for Washington, D.C. Several of the passengers made phone calls to loved ones who informed them that two planes had already crashed into the World Trade Centers in New York City. And a third that had struck the Pentagon. Well, he tried to place a credit card call through a phone located on the back of the plane seat, but was routed to a customer service representative who passed him to an airphone supervisor named Lisa Jefferson. He informed her that hijackers had taken over United Flight 93, that one passenger had been killed along with two pilots. And at this point, they knew their fate. They knew Todd, along with some of the other passengers, formed a plan to take the plane back from the hijackers. What courage this was going to take. These weren't military personnel. They weren't police officers. They weren't firefighters. They were ordinary people. I mean, how do you gain enough strength and power to go through with something like this? Todd told Lisa Jefferson that the group was planning to jump on the hijackers and fly the plane into the ground before the hijackers could crash it into their planned destination. And Todd Beamer, a man who taught Sunday school at church, with Lisa Jefferson still on the line, led the others in reciting the Lord's Prayer. And then uttered the now famous words, Let's roll, as they stormed the hijackers and plowed the plane into an empty field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Man, don't tell me this prayer doesn't have power. Psalm 29 verse 11 says, The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. You know, as part of the prayer team here at the JAR, man, I know there's a lot of people struggling right now. 
There's a lot of people hurting right now. There's been a lot of loss in the church. People that have lost loved ones that are grieving right now. There is sickness right now. There's pain. There's uncertainty. It seems like if there was ever a time that we needed some peace, if there was ever a time that we needed some strength, it's right now. So I'm going to close today by inviting everyone to stand. We are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. So just read along with me if you would. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.